friends. Welcome back to Here As You Should Know, the double nerd show where I talk about a historical figure that we don't talk about enough and then I turn him into a D&D character because why wouldn't I? Uh, and this week, I'm very excited to have my friend Reginald West joining me. We've worked on a project together this year and I begged him to come hang out with me again. So here he is. <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So great to have you on. Um, is there any kind of thing that we need to talk about before? Probably not. Not really. Actually, that you know, you you know what we do here. It's uh, nerdy shit. Um, shit, I'm with it. And this uh, and this week we're going to be talking about Alan Turing. Yes. Uh, I realize Alan Turing is probably one of our better known um, heroes that we're going to be talking about. Um, that's fine. I make the rules. So, oh well. Um, so. And I think I think the reason he's the most more well known is because of the movie The Imitation Game, which is very pretty. Um, but we're not going to talk about it that much because, like with many films based on history, um, it's rife with uh, errors and missteps to make it more dramatic. Um, so we're not going to talk about it that much, except the music, which is very pretty. We're not going to talk about the music either. But I'm just going to say that the music's really pretty, and I listened to it while I was doing these notes. Um, but we're going to focus on the real story here. Um, so he was a literal genius. So and smart. So, so fucking smart. From such an early age, they were like, Seriously, oh no, yeah. <laughs> this guy is. He was like, he probably would have been, you know, called a prodigy in his time. You know, at least for he, sure. Would have been close. Um, so, that being said, I, who am not a genius, do not understand a lot of his theories because <laughs> I did these notes in just a few days. Uh, if I had like a month, I could probably maybe scratch the surface of understanding them, but I didn't. Um, so if you're super interested in like math, science, crypts, crypto analysis stuff, I urge you to go look more deeply into this because as usual, this is kind of just a basic overview. There's so much information about him and all the cool shit he figured out. Please go look into it. Um, he's cool as hell. Yeah. He's absolutely um, And then one last thing, uh, I'm going to do like a blanket trigger warning kind of over this whole thing. Um, for homophobia, uh, mentions of suicide, and uh, mentions of chemical castration, just because it's a reality in his story, and we, we do we will talk on it. So um, yeah, if that's going to be an issue for you, please step away, and that's super chill. Um, yeah. So are we ready? Ready when you are. All right. So Alan Turing was born June twenty third, nineteen twelve, in London, England. His parents were civil servants. Uh, and as Reggie pointed out, he showed signs of genius from a very early age. Um, he went to public school and the public schools were like, he's, unless he's trying to be an educator, he, this is, this is not where he's supposed to be. So he goes to private school. Um, one of which was about 60 miles away. Um, and in 1926, there was a, um, a general strike. Um, and he's 14 and he really wants to get to a school. So he bikes unaccompanied those 60 miles so he can go to school. And I think it's, I think it's like a, a school that you stay at. So it wasn't like he was biking 60 miles every day, but like still biking 60 miles to get to school is. Hey, when you're, when you're dedicated, you know, yeah. <laughs> you, you got to do it. It's like any of those conversations with grandparents or anything like that. You know, I, yeah. I went to school in the, in the snow, Oh, up up a hill, down the other side, you know, upside down, you know, yeah. walking on my hands. Like, exactly. Just everything, 
everything. So yeah. that's that. It's it, it takes a very dedicated person to number one do that, and then to thrive. You know when he was there. So he was yeah he was yeah he was obviously very dedicated to his education, um, but in school he was kind of seen as a very average student. Mm-hmm. Um, because the structure of the like the structure of the classroom and the way that they like set things up held zero interest for him. He did not care about anything. He was way more interested in following his own pursuits. Uh, I think there was like somewhere I read they talked about like a math class where he could like he could do the like the formulas and everything that they were showing, but mm-hmm. he was just more interested in figuring out a different way to do it or figuring out different ways to try and do things or wh- mm-hmm. whatever else he was. It's I, I think that's so interesting that a lot of geniuses are talked about like they go to school and they're average students when you think they would excel because they're like, I don't care about this shit. There's like four things that I want to think about and that's it. And that's what I'm going to focus on. That's true. I mean, you can find that with a lot of modern people today. You know, I think it takes a whole bunch of different types of skills um, for people to, you know, to live in the world that we do right now. And, you know, not everybody's going to have the same type of, want for the education when the syllabus comes out where you have to take, you know, math, science, language arts, uh, uh, you know, um, extracurricular. Some people may not click with one and then they actually just gravitate to something that is really interesting to them. And we should celebrate that a lot more than I think we do. I agree. Um, And at this time, science and math were kind of looked down on in in favor of like the classics and literature and like English and stuff and history and stuff like that. So the fact Mm -hmm. that he liked them was like kind of embarrassing and annoying to his teachers. Um, So I I don't think that helped his cause either. Um, He read Einstein's theory of relativity as like a 15 or 16 year old, grasped it real, grasped it really quickly. And then had like a notebook full of his own musings on what it meant, which is insane to me. (laughs) Like, how do you take someone who's as highly regarded as Albert Einstein and then just just be like, you know what? Maybe there's something else. Maybe there's something else to be added to this. Maybe maybe, I have notes. When someone's just like, okay, here's, here's, the basically the new the new standard for what we're thinking about in the science and Turing's like okay, but what if there's more? Exactly. <laughs> Always like wanted to push the envelope, which I love. And that's so and that's so interesting that someone can have that type of not even like foresight, but just like the like the gumption to just question everything to be like. There's got to be, there's got to be more here. Cool. This is great. But like, what's over there? Yeah. (laughs) Solar Sailor says, uh, educational diversity should be more openly talked about. I agree. You are very correct. (laughs) That is definitely a thing that we are lacking. And I hope, I hope it, hope it turns around sometime, hopefully. Um, So while he's at Sherborne, which is the school, the private school, uh, he befriends Christopher Morecambe, who is described as his first love. Um, they're both incredibly brilliant. Uh, they trade ideas and theories. He's kind of the only person or one of the first people that, um, Alan is, is able to like talk to and will bounce ideas with him. And he was super, um, Christopher was super interested in like astrology or astronomy. 
Whichever one isn't mm. about star signs. I can't ever remember. I think it's astronomy. Astronomy. Is it astronomy? Astronomy, astronomy sounds more yeah. mystical. It, okay, astro Aaron's, Aaron's telling me it's astronomy, right. so we're no, good. I think astrology more has to deal with like the signs, right. like Sagittarius, Taurus, and all that. I think astronomy, well, you know what? We have the internet. The internet. Solar Sailor and Aaron are both telling me that it's astronomy, so I think we were solid on astronomy. So astronomy. He's super interested in astronomy. Um, but unfortunately, um, thank you, Aaron. Aaron says he will be bringing this up again. I don't doubt it, you little punk. Um so they're so the closest can be there was never really any like indication if it was like romantic love or just like platonic i i kind of read it as romantic but who knows um and then unfortunately christopher passes away of bovine tuberculosis in february of 1930 and it just wrecks alan yeah. um it's it's a huge loss that's that probably has something to do or it's probably a contributing factor toward his um, his atheism and his materialism. And materialism isn't what it sounds like. Materialism, in a philosophical sense, is that the mind and the conscious are byproducts of a material process, like brain chemistry, um, mm -hmm. the nervous system, all of that. So, like the consciousness is comes from the physical rather than the other way around. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I thought that so too. Yeah. Um, so Alan was very close with Christopher's mother, um, and they often wrote each other and they maintained a relationship for several years, um, usually writing about Christopher. Uh, and this is an, an, a point where he, he's asking about like, okay, where does the body spirit, like, where does body and spirit separate? Where do we go after we die? All of these mm -hmm. very like philosophical questions that he, yep. his mother and Christopher or Christopher and Alan or Chris, Jesus Christ, Christopher's mother and <laughs> Alan would uh, like write back and forth about. And I think that's like a really lovely way of keeping him alive for themselves. Yeah, I think um, that's that's incredibly important to try to build up those those relationships or not at the very least to to sever them when something like this happens. So Yeah, like you can't like fully lose that person if you keep them alive with someone who loves them. True. Um. So he's, you know, he's, he's dealing with that. And then he goes to the University of Cambridge for mathematics in 1931, uh, where he graduates in 34. And then he gets elected to a fellowship at King's College for his research on the probability theory. This one I'm very shaky on, but as I understand it, it's a branch of mathematics that studies the idea of random phenomena, where the outcomes of random events can't be determined before they occur. But there are several possibilities that can occur, but the actual outcome is determined by chance. So it's like a dice roll. Yeah, dice. yeah. It's like cards or dice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is very topical for us. Haha. -ha. Mm -hmm. um, We've arrived. You've made it meta. <laughs> boom, quick. First page of notes. <laughs> done. <laughs> so so yes. So he's he's like he's talked about probability theory. Um, and people are pretty much taking notice of his staggering intellect. Uh, so two years later, he uh, makes a paper on computable numbers with an application to the oh, Entscheidungsproblem. It's a German word. Yep, um, it sounds German. <laughs> doesn't it though? <laughs> so it's called the. It's it's also known as the decision problem. Problem. Okay. So basically. 
it's a problem formulated by D David Hilbert from 1928. And it's, is there an algorithm that will take a formal language and a logistical statement in that language and that the out that will output a true or false depending on the truth value of the statement. Mm -hmm. So the algorithm doesn't tell how to get to the answer or how to prove it as long as the answer is always correct. Right. I don't fully understand that. It, yeah, that's kind of hard <laughs> because like I'm thinking about it in a coding language where if it was, you know, if it was like a Boolean type statement, then, you know, you would either have the true or the false. But I think this is now predicated on the fact that the truth exists. Yeah. So it's so obviously it's more nuanced <laughs> than just the the than just a truth, true or false. Yeah. But if the predication is there and it's based on the fact that whatever you're trying to figure out is true, it kind of narrows down a lot of different things that you would do because yeah. you would need to know that it's true because you can't prove it. And it, <laughs> it's it's like so, a loop on so, itself. Yeah, yeah. It, it falls on it. So it's kind of thinking about it now, it's, it's a little ineffective especially if you can't prove that it's true to begin with yeah it's 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 a whole it's like a weird cycle it's yeah yeah so so alan publishes his paper and shows that there is no answer to the problem yeah. uh it's impossible for an algorithm to decide whether statements are true or false mm -hmm. um so it's and, and he makes this whole thing called the turing machine to prove that you can't prove the decision problem. <laughs> um, and so this earlier that same year that he published this, um, this um, paper on the decision yeah. problem, another mathematician named Alonzo Church came to the same conclusion, but in a different way. And, and he kind of, he's the one that finds Alan's paper and recommends it for publication. And it's like, Hey, I did the same thing, but he did it in a different way. How cool is this? I love that. I absolutely I love that. I remember like, doing, uh, <laughs> having experiences where you would uh, get to the same answer, just doing it a completely different way, especially in math. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like if there's one common language, it's definitely in numbers and <laughs> in music, but which is that one I also, also sequenced correctly yeah. for looking at it, you know, algebraically. it is, technically numeric. No, don't make me do it like that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we could spiral into that, but yeah, we'll focus, we'll focus. Yeah, <laughs> we'll dial it in. Yeah. Um, anyway, so he, so Church is like, hey, this is cool. He did it a different way than me, but we came to the same conclusion. How fucking cool. Uh, and so Alan goes to Princeton uh, for his PhD in math, math mathematical logic uh, and graduates two years later in 1938. But while he's there, he works on the decision problem with Church, uh, mm -hmm. and they create the universal Turing machine, which was a hypothetical computing device created to infallibly recognize undecidable propositions. So it's basically him proving that you can't prove a thing. <laughs> um, and it's it's just it's big smart computing things uh, mm -hmm. that go back to our girl Ada Lovelace who then goes back to like the ancient mathematicians in Greece and Egypt and Mesopotamia and Central America. And it's, I think one of my favorite things about this, this specific 
person that we researched is that it made me kind of focus on the fact that like without the past we aren't anything and like obviously you have to learn from the past you're gonna whatever but like the building blocks that we came from are so integral i just i don't know i got emotional about thinking about like all the people that led to this and what this led to further that's Uh, that's true it's it's i feel like it's a moment in time a moment in time that like everything had to line up correctly you know even you know predicated by uh ada lovelace before and then for alan turing to meet up or for church to see turing's paper like by happenstance what if he just went and did something else and that never happened and then turing wouldn't have just been like oh well let's collaborate let's try and let's try and figure some of these things out and it's just so interesting because you're you're totally right it's just these people who do magnificent world-changing things just have these small little moments in time that just mean absolutely everything and just give us so much yeah, that I'm sure we're going to get into a little bit later um, about even the way that, you know, right now we deal with computers and how they think. And it's just, it's absolutely incredible about just how everything happens like that. It's just The ripple is insane. Yeah. Um, so they're working together and Alan has to claim, has the claim that everything humanely computable can also be computed by the universal Turing machine which was an important distinction because it marks out the limits of human computation and kind of implies that potentially there is a computation that a human may be incapable of finding. Uh, And so, so church finds a superior to his own theories uh, that draw the same conclusion because it has the advantage of making the identification with effectiveness, with effectiveness, my God, why is this word so hard for me to say? It has the advantage of making the identification with effectiveness evident immediately. So it was like, here's this nebulous idea that Alan was just like, okay, here's where we stop. What's past us? I don't know, but this is the point at which we stop computing. And like, there's something beyond that. That is so dialed in that it's hard to even comprehend <laughs> Just, thinking about thinking that deeply yeah about about a process you know what i mean like because this thing had to be just to have that the advantage of making the identification with effectiveness like i just love these people's brains like i just want to just continue going down the rabbit hole i'm so excited about where we're gonna go i know i wish i wish like i wish i could go back in time and just be like okay i'm a dummy please just sit down and explain to me all your thoughts because i desperately want to understand them but i am woefully incapable of doing so by myself yeah yeah it was like can you break it down there was some um i think there's a site with a bunch of his papers um, where yeah. they're just all compiled out and just even trying to read and decode some of the things that he's thinking about in those ones. It's just like, man, he was just on another level. And it was, it's, it's absolutely awesome. And I think you need those peoples to push those, to push those boundaries to, to really ultimately get us where we need to be, or at the very least 
stoke the next person's thought and just be like, hmm, yeah. is there more? Is there more than this now? Who, like so, who can I springboard in the future? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, I, I I found that site and I was trying to read some of the papers and I was like, I will just cry. No. <laughs> uh, there's, nothing, there's nothing for me here. <laughs> no. I like to think I'm kind of smart. I'm not this kind of smart. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Every everybody's smart in some way. And yeah. and you know what? This was this was Turk's thing. This is yeah. this is his uh, level Listen. of uh, expertise. This is where he shines. Uh, so it's in 1938 now. Uh, he returns to his fellowship at King's College and he joins the Government Code and Cipher School. Uh, and the school, so the school was established in 1919 after World War II ended as a way to have the Army and the Navy on similar wavelengths in terms of like signal intelligence, codes, mm. and, you know, stuff like that. Mm. Uh, um, and so it's meant to be like a peacetime organization. But then a year after Allen joins them uh, in September of 1939, Britain enters World War II uh, and the World War uh, headquarters is moved to Bletchley Park in Buckinghamshire and Allen goes with it. Um, so before this, he was kind of part of the anti-war movement. He wasn't like a Marxist or a pacifist or anything like that, but he was, he was you know, anti-war. He wasn't super into it. Yeah. And <laughs> some historians have called him a hippie before his time. He said to have like dressed dressed really shabbily for the time, which I think means like he didn't wear a tie or like wore a loose tie or whatever. Yeah, uh, right. he bit his nails. Um, they often like mistook him for an undergrad when he was, you know, like he had a PhD and he was working as a code breaker. And they were like, "What's this like twenty year old doing on campus? What the hell?" That that just cracks me up because I can because it's always like uh, romanticized, like in these. Like in these movies, like I know we're not mentioning the, the, the imitation game, but I mean we can't. Just for, like, I'm not, just I'm for not, a frame of reference, just for a frame of reference, like the <laughs> yeah. way he was he was uh, dressed in there, because yeah, he really didn't have a tie. You know, he just had just a little, um, probably just a little vest, but that was even unbuttoned and just a shirt and pants, and then just yeah. went to work. And I was like, is that shabby? Because that's business casual today. Yeah. So like, <laughs> it's not that big a deal. Like he wore suspenders not around his side, driving up. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> Um, so what he wants to, you know, he's brilliant. Let him do what he wants. He wants to be relaxed, okay? Not like, not like <laughs> do what he wants, like in any kind of sense, kind of way. But like, yeah. he's doing his job. It PhDs doesn't matter how he can works. dress however they want. You know. Yes. Um. <laughs> so the thing he is probably the most known for is decoding the Enigma machine. Um. So for the uninitiated, the Enigma machine is the machine that the Nazis were using in World War II to communicate through codes. Um, so it looked like a huge typewriter that spit out a string of letters that were seemingly random. Um, and when the messages were typed into the Enigma's keyboard, three rotors inside the machine would change each letter uh, of the message to a different one, uh, which would light up on a display above the keyboard um, of the corresponding Enigma, Enigma machine. Uh, each letter had to be written down. And then once the whole message was uh, taken, it was sent through Morse code to an operator of the other machine. That operator has to enter the mixed up message into their machine and the reflector inside the Enigma would reverse the rotor process and light up the original letters that had been entered in the first machine. And then there's like a plug board that's attached to the front um, for like more complicated, which, which like complicates things later down the road mm -hmm. by changing the letter typed into the machine before it's altered by the rotors. It was super complicated. And like, 
fuck the Nazis, obviously. We punch <laughs> Nazis here. Right, right. But 100%. the idea of being able to think of this is fascinating to me. Yes. Like, whoever uh, made this was brilliant. I wish they hadn't used their powers for evil. Right. No, yeah. I, the machine itself again, is Again, definitely fuck the Nazis. But, like, they had so many things, had so many applications that could have been used for good. But they weren't. So many. So <laughs> they made bad out, choices. Yeah, they made <laughs> mistakes. It was like they they made a, a bunch a bunch of errors, and they were awful, awful people. It was like, but like this, like what you're explaining, and how we needed to figure out a way to figure out what they were saying. Like getting some of that information and coming up with a plan, and then a machine to then go through with that plan takes so much and obviously it's wartime like you don't really have a lot of time to waste time resources they were pretty yeah. low on resources yeah very very low on resources so yeah. the fact that you have to be so innovative and you have to be so crafty to to come up with something like this is is awe-inspiring you know from 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 all sides i think uh, especially from turns and just like figuring out what you needed to do in order to in order to succeed in order to win like it's it's very inspirational yeah it's super cool and actually this kind of leads perfectly into the next point which is so the enigma had been cracked before not mm -hmm. fully but it had been cracked by the polish mathematician marian uh Radziewski in the 30s so he so he got intel from the french and basically created his own enigma machine sight unseen just from the information uh so he like so i really I, one sorry we're gonna go on a little tangent something that i think is really interesting in like different wartime things i'm not super into like wartime politics or whatever but i right. do think it's really interesting that you can see the difference in espionage french versus polish um because the french are very like subterfuge oriented going mm -hmm. in and like going in and doing things and learning things with people yes. on the ground like we saw with josephine baker and then you have like the british and the polish who are kind of more removed from it i know i like this is a large generalization um but the the british and the french or not the french sorry the polish were a little bit more removed from it and trying to take the information right. they got from the french and figuring it out intellectually which yeah. i think is fascinating it's 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 levels within levels, honestly. Yes. Like we could I'm sure if I get invited back, I would love to do something about spies. <laughs> like that would be great. That would be great. That would be absolutely awesome. But yes, hundred percent. Like oh man. So much subterfuge subter wow, that's a hard word. Subterfuge <laughs> is, is is needed, especially with this, because you know, for a good amount of time. Um, I knew like Turing wasn't necessarily sharing a whole bunch, like what he was doing initially yeah. with, I think his higher ups, if I believe, if I'm correct and correct me if I'm wrong. I, um, I, no, he, he, he was operating pretty much on his own. Just like, yeah. do this please. Mm -hmm. And they were like, okay. Okay. <laughs> I guess this is what you need, but yeah. yeah like, they had a whole team at Bletchley Park, but he was, he was deeply involved in it. Um, yeah. So yeah, so that's super cool. Uh, Ladybug4673 says, human intelligence versus signal intelligence. Yes. And the, <laughs> ugh, just the, 
the little the differences. I love it. I it's great. It's great. things are cool. People are neat. I love history. <laughs> um, so anyway, so he so Marian Rajewski basically works out that the, like what the rotators do and the reflectors to the point where they can basically de decipher about seventy five percent of the messages. Um, and these like these scanners that he has are called bombes. It's bombs with an es at the end. I'm assuming it said it's. Bombes. I like bombes. So we're going to say it like that. Or, or bombs. Or bombs. Bombies. Bombies. Uh, <laughs> no one got for us. We could, it, it just says bomb, bombes. Bomb, yeah. Bombes. Um, so anyway, the war goes on, and the Nazis sub up their security on the Enigmas by changing the rotor setting every day and then adding an extra plug on the board, which changes them further. Um, it, it just basically gets more complicated. Yeah. Um, before this, I think I read that the rotors have been changed every week, or every two weeks, something like that, and now it's changed every day. Yeah, uh, I read that originally a week, and then I think it. Goes yeah, it, they really. stepped it up. So Rajewski's kind of rolling with it at the time. He's like, "Okay, I'm trying, I'm figuring a way around this." Uh, but then the Nazis take Poland, um, and his work leads Alan and the others at Bletchley Park to realize that linguistics isn't the answer to breaking the codes, like a lot of other codes at the time were but mathematics this was a much more like math-based code rather than like an ottendorf cipher or whatever else you're going to do mm. is that the right word i think that's the right word i think um so like without his research alan would have had to work out the enigma from scratch which would have lengthened into the war uh and it also built him or sorry it also led to him building the colossus machine at bletchley park which is what later breaks the German's Lorenz cipher, which comes after the Enigma and is even more complicated somehow. People who make up codes are... <laughs> yeah, like... I can't. The, the amount of work that goes into it is like, how can I make this... How can I make something as complicated as possible? Yeah. With also, at the same time, getting us to interpret it in a certain way, but making sure that the people that are trying to interpret it don't. Yeah. <laughs> it's secrets only for us, but also secrets only for us and the language barrier yeah. as well. Like fascinating. I love it. So love cool. It. Um, so we are going like a momentary touch on the imitation game, the movie. Uh, there was a woman named Joan Clark. She did work at Bletchley park with Alan Um and Alan did propose to her and they were engaged. Um, the engagement was broke off because he tells her he's gay and she goes, yeah, I know. I'm not surprised. And then they're bros for the rest of his life, <laughs> which is great. She's like, great. all right, I don't really care. Yeah, Thank you for matter. telling me. Um, yeah. And then he's like, I don't think we should marry. And she's like, all right. <laughs> That's fine. It was like, I, I didn't think it was going to go very far. Yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> like, I know you, so. It's chill. And ultimately, that's, that's, should be the way that it should go. Yeah. Like, you know. The normal way that it should be. Yeah, the normal way that it should go. Just be, you know. Just be chill, man. Be loving. Like, just, dude, it's fine. It's, it's not cool. hard. Go, um, get the, go do the dishes. Like, <laughs> We can still be bros. We can still hang out. Mm -hmm. uh, Joan herself is also an incredible mathematician and a cryptanalyst. Uh, she was taught for class in mathematics at Cambridge in the 30s, but she, was, she wasn't she was given a, a degree until 1948 
because of some bullshit about only men can get degrees from Cambridge at the time. Whatever. Uh, she's still top of her class. She was, oh, what's it called? There was a thing, there's like a special word specific to Cambridge that like, you are the top of your class. I can't remember what it is. Uh, but she was, she was that. And they still were like, nah, you can't have a degree. You're a lady. You got, you're a lady. You can't have this. Um, so she gets recruited by the GCCS, uh, by a fellow student from Cambridge who saw her in geometry in class and was like, that bitch is brilliant. Let's go. We need her. Uh, she's 100% that bitch. Yes. I love it. <laughs> um, and, but when she gets to Bletchley Park, she's stuck doing clerical work with some of the other women. And then they're like, oh, no. Oh, we come here. No, we put you in the wrong place. Come on. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, I know. We're going yeah, we're gonna to use up. my talents appropriately now, right? Yeah. And they're like, yes. <laughs> yeah. You were uh, wrong. Mistakes were made. Yeah, and so she is one of only two women that she was aware of that were cryptologists at Bletchley Park. Wow. Uh, yeah, so she and Alan work together. They do all this. They're bros. Um, and then in 1945, after the war ends, uh, he is recruited to the National Physical Laboratory to create an electric computer. Mm. Uh, so his original design is called the Automatic Computing Machine, or, I'm sorry, Automatic Computing Engine, the ACE. Uh, and it's among the first completed specifications for an electrical electronic stored program, all purposed digital computer. Um, and so this would have had more memory and run faster than any of the designs at the time. Uh, but his colleagues aren't as, uh, as um, innovative as he is. And they think it's going to be too difficult and too small and less like they don't think they don't think it'll work. So they yeah. instead go for the pilot model ACE in 1950, which is smaller and less intricate. Uh, there's another group. I think it's the Royal Society Computing, uh, the Royal Society Computing Group. Machine Laboratory, I think. Yes. Um, they, they, they have the first computer. The, if they'd followed Allen's design, they would have had the first, like, electronic computer. Uh, but that is done in 1948 by the Royal Society Computing Machine Laboratory. And so Allen's like, cool, they're doing neat things. I'm going there. So he transfers to them uh, as a deputy director, even though there is no director. So he's, he's in everything but name, he's the director. Yeah, he's the guy. Yeah. Um, and so he, uh, da, 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 sorry, I lost my place in my notes. Right, so he develops the computer's input and output system using the Bletchley Park technology. And he designs a programming system. He writes the first programming manual. He's he is well on his way to like shoving computer more like closer to what we know as computers today mm -hmm. into reality, which is cool yeah. as fuck. Yeah, it really is. Like coming from applications that were used in wartime and now trying to create something that's a bit more accessible, especially initially when his you know, coworkers or whatever, or, you know, we're looking on, on it like, this is, this is too much. This yeah. is, again, you know, this is this, I don't know if this is something that we should be going for, but he was already, you know, four he's like steps four steps ahead, ahead of everyone at um, all times. I've got, I've got things to do. So, yeah. <laughs> so I know that this will work. And at the very least, it takes those pioneers to just build something yeah. and start working on it for, for number one to catch on and then to build off of that for other things that. Yeah. You know, to at least have a record of it just so that someone eventually will be like, 
oh, this makes a lot of sense. Even if it's like yep. outdated by the time that they read it, they're still like, mm -hmm. oh no, I see what he was doing. He was right. Yep. Uh, so. so after World War II, he also dabbles in quantum mechanics, biology, chemistry, neurology, um, all of this in the pursuit to kind of make a thinking machine that would that would learn and think. With he wants to make artificial intelligence, which is fascinating. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, so, like a AI, even like, could you imagine the types of conversations that that would have been happening in the forties for this man to start talking about? He was like, so. What if a computer did this? Like, what if it could, no. on its own, without <laughs> us giving it, without us giving it commands? What if? I don't know. It just ran a program. What if it just did a thing? And they would have been like, "Fuck!" No, How dare you, sir? How dare you? Quit. I control the machine. Yeah, the machine doesn't control me. We have computers, and they're people. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it's it's uh, uh, the women who are doing the clerical work right now. Those right. are the computers. Those are the computers. Right? <laughs> what are you talking about? Computers, machines that'll think computers. for us. Uh, so he's so he's well on that way. Mm -hmm. um, a quick interlude about him. I didn't place this note very well, but we're here, so we're going to talk about it. Alan's a pretty sporty dude. <laughs> he uh he he was with a information with him running yeah running uh, yeah. yeah as you can see in the picture uh, yeah, there's the picture there's there he is he's an <laughs> avid runner um yep. he said it was how he dealed with having like a stressful job um he'd run between two places at work uh like the national physical Lab laboratory and the electronics building in dallas hills uh they'd have like meetings between those two places and his colleagues would get on public transit and like take a bus or take a train and he'd hmm. run and he'd beat them there <laughs> Which is hilarious that's, to me. That's impressive. That's... Uh, he joined running clubs. He was a competitive amateur, like competitive amateur runner, and he won several races. In 1948, he ran a marathon uh, in oh, two yeah. hours, 46 minutes, and three seconds, which was only 11 minutes slower than the Olympic winner of that same year, which that's is crazy. incredible. That's so crazy. Wow. Um, he, he competed to be on the Olympic team, but he didn't make it because he had an injury. Like he, he was going crazy. after it. That's awesome. That's so sick. Like, <laughs> you never know. You know, you're like, you think you know a person based on uh, like a movie that's not even really that accurate, doesn't paint a whole picture unless you actually do some research. And then you learn little things like this. Like, he just likes to run. Huh. Speedy the word. <laughs> yep. Now, now I know. Now, uh, uh, yeah. That's, For some reason, that's one of my favorite facts about him is that he's an avid yeah. runner. <laughs> I think it's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> he's like thank you for being the precursor for a whole bunch of ai stuff but really i'd really like to see how we can shave eight minutes off of that running time there yeah <laughs> do you need like a timer i'll sit at the yeah. other end for you dude <laughs> we can do it rocky style like i'll just be in the car just having the blow having the blow horn right here oh. just... <laughs> you're uh, not going fast enough um alan hurry up <laughs> anyway so very cool very sweet um, in the mm. 1950s, we're going back to we're going back to smart things, not physical things. Mm. 1950s mm. puts out a paper called the Imitation Game, which is basically stating that computers can mirror outputs of humans, and that the Turing test uh, he designed in early in his career is still pretty central to the dis discussions on AI. So he creates the Turing test, which is the criteria about whether or not an artificial computer is thinking and can be classified as artificially intelligent. 
So it's like defining whether the computer is having an original thought or giving a sophisticated parrot of the input that it already has. Hmm. Fascinating. And he he kind of talks about like, okay, if it's if you're looking at it and it's responding to you, call it cogent, you know, call it what it is. Other people hmm. have like disputed that. I think this is just kind of his his interpretation of it. Yeah. Um, and I think something really interesting is that his like whole interest in like human spirit and materialism and like the loss of Christopher so early in his life kind of influences his interest in AI and something that could mirror human output. And like, what does it mean? Like, are we just fleshy computers or like, what could, what, mm -hmm. like what uh, further meaning could an AI have? Right. There's definitely more there. Um, <sighs> I like what you have with the spirit because in multiple cultures, like you can you can quantify a spirit. Like when when someone dies or whatever in in different cultures, like sometimes like they'll weigh an individual, and then when that person passes, they physically get lighter. And like, can you can you quantify? a soul or a spirit yeah. or something like that. And then just thinking about what, what um, Alan was thinking about here, like there's definitely, or he could have been thinking in the future, like there may be more to this and maybe we can find some way to track or uh, get more data on what this, this spirit yeah. is. And maybe I can replicate that inside yeah. of my program, like inside of what I'm trying to do. So there's so much uh, uh, what ifs yeah. in, in this. And it's absolutely incredible to think about. And like that, I feel like that would just lead to like further philosophical discussions of like, okay, what qualifies as a spirit? What qualifies to make right. something human? Mm -hmm. Like where does intellect, you know, have to like cross over into like that sapient kind of, I don't know. Mm -hmm. There's so many questions that can come from that. I, I love it. So many. We could spiral for hours. Easily. 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 Uh, <laughs> but we won't. We will continue we on our course for now. For the culture. Yes. Uh, so he also develops a new field of mathematical biology, which is called morphogenesis. And basically it's a mathematical explanation of how things grow, how things are having to do with like cells and organisms and the development of their shape. Um, it's, it's kind of like a, an organic or genetic blueprint, um, and using the Ferenti Mark one computer, which is, I think was built by the, the Royal society. Uh, he hypothesizes that a chemical mechanism could generate anatomical structures in animals and plants, um, which kind of like creating life through math. Mm. Right. <laughs> I mean, would it be something like close, like a, like the cloning process? Like I think, I think that's what he would be like leading that. to. I feel like Part that's the direction he's starting to like sway. Yeah. Of like, can you create a physical organic form and then put a soul into it? Hmm. I feel like, I feel like if you cross morphogenesis with, you know, AI, you just create a whole, whole humans sort of hmm, sort fascinating of. yes it's fascinating and then it comes down to like 
what quantifies as the soul. Like, how yeah. is the soul there? So philosophy again. So many, yeah, philosophy. <sighs> Amazing, <laughs> crazy, crazy, big, 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 big brain thoughts. Big brain, big, yeah. big old brain, big old brain. <laughs> Uh, so in 1951, he gets elected to a fellow at the Royal Society of London, which is a big deal because that is the world's oldest um, society that's focused on the um, like the furthering of science. So he, yeah. so they they see him and they're like, yes, yeah. which makes a whole ton of sense because they should. Um, and then we get to 1952. Um, so Alan hasn't been quiet about his sexuality kept it a secret from people socially it's a pretty like socially it's a pretty well-known fact um but at the time homosexuality was illegal in britain and the charges were gross indecency which mm -hmm. is the worst phrasing for that i've ever fucking heard yeah yeah um and he's arrested in march of 1952 for his relationship with a man um mm -hmm. and he doesn't deny it he's like yeah yeah okay he and then goes to the judges to their faces and like this shouldn't be illegal in the first place. This is a stupid right. thing and you're wrong. Yeah. I think that was like <laughs> then, right before he got sentenced too. Yeah, he as he's being sentenced, he's like, "This is dumb. You're wrong." Yeah. <laughs> and then gives a detailed dumb. account of his entire relationship with the man. Yeah, <laughs> this is dumb, and I'll I tell you why. Like, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> so he's, you know, he's he's not going to deny it. He's like, "No, this is true. You're wrong." Right. And I would expect nothing less from him. Um, but the punishment for homosexuality when, when it comes to gross indecency uh, is a form of chemical castration where a series of hormones are injected uh, that cause impotence and which also have the side effect of gynecomastia, which is like the development of breast tissue, mm. um, which can't be fun for anyone in any direction that is fucking terrible. He's yeah, one of the most yeah. brilliant minds that they have. He helped shorten the length of a war that was ravaging their country and continent mm -hmm. uh, along with other con like the world. And they're still right. like, no, because you made out with a dude, we're going yeah. to make you miserable. It was a, it was a <sighs> rougher time. Um, Fucking terrible. For multiple, for multiple people. And there just hasn't so many. been. Yeah. It was like, and even like from then to now, it's only been, 70? 70 ish years. 70 years. Am I doing my math right? Yeah. It's only been 70 years. And obviously, there have been steps, yeah. leaps and bounds made from where we were to where we're at now, especially with how people that are being recognized under the LGBTQIA plus banner, I think I said all of them. Um, you did. You got it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, are are being recognized as as people, and they should be a hundred percent. Like that shouldn't have been a question. I think it's just no. at this time there just wasn't enough. There was number one. There wasn't enough information. I don't think no. there was enough people who actually cared, which is really unfortunate. Yeah. And then for someone to then stand up to, for the status quo and just be like, you know what? I'm not going to cower uh, from this punishment. I'm not going to hide. I am who I am. It is what it is. Y'all are stupid. Yeah. Here's the reasons why. <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's awesome. It's you don't, you don't hell. hear about you don't hear about how much bravery that that took alone. Yeah. Like there's there's so many people throughout history that are just ravaged because yeah. of yeah. like the most innocuous thing like. Who do you want to kiss? Oh, 
This oh. person? No. Well, you can't do that. I, I guess it, no babies for you. Yeah, it's I don't yeah. I it's inco- unconscionable and it drives me fucking bonkers. Understand. Uh but Alan is resilient as fuck. He's a badass he's brilliant Mm -hmm. he keeps working as long as he can pretty much in open defiance he talks about it to anyone who wants to talk about it with him (laughs) um and he continues to be like this is a fucking stupid law and this shouldn't be happening um and and like it's happening to other like other men other men who didn't stop a war other women like other people uh, it's it's a lot maddening um but homosexuality at the time is also considered a fucking national security risk because oh. the government thinks the communists are going to get the gays. <laughs> I don't know how. Is that, do you have a source? Do you have a source for where that came from? <laughs> I don't, I don't understand. Cause, cause I, like the, the main thing is that they don't want him to tra- like, he, he would travel around Europe. Right. Right. They love traveling around Europe and he'd go like near the Iron Curtain. And so they're like suspicious of him that they're like, he's going near the Iron Curtain and he's gay. There's a danger. <laughs> like, so you better you better not, better not. Here's, some, here's some ground rules. <laughs> so they I'm laughing because it's just uh, ridiculous. It's it, fucking yeah, annoying it really as hell, is. but it's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Um so he he gets convicted and then they pull a security clearance. Their most, one of their top minds, one of their most brilliant people. They're like, no, no, he can't work for us anymore. Cause he kissed a dude. So dumb. I, uh, it's insane. So he's, he's stuck in England. He's stuck. You know, he, you know, it's, it's 12 months of this hormone therapy, yeah. um, which is misery. I'm sure. Um, and he's just kind of stuck, but he keeps doing his work. Um, but in June of 1954, June 8th, at the age of 41, that he is found dead in his home uh, of an apparent suicide. Um, the suicide, the suicide aspect is questionable in a couple directions. Um, so his hormone treatment had stopped more than a year previously, and his friend said he'd endured it with um, what was it? Amused fortitude which is an amazing phrase and exactly what I'd expect. Um, Obviously the way someone is perceived out in the world and the way they are internally is, doesn't mean, you know, like there was obviously a a separation, a separation. He definitely could have been having a really rough time and would it would have made sense if he were. And if he had, if that had contributed to his suicide, that makes sense. Um, There's also, um, theories that it was an accident from inhaling cyanide fumes from an experiment in his small home lab laboratory uh i think his mom talked about how he was terrible at you know keeping his chemicals separated it was a small lab in his apartment like it the fumes could have gotten anywhere it could have just been an accident especially if it's not like definitive either like either either way it's it's a loss you know it's just If he was driven to it, that's obviously awful. If it just happened, it sucks and is also awful. There's also a conspiracy that uh, it was an assassination by the Secret Service, uh, given that he had so much knowledge and was a brilliant cryptanalyst. 
and gays were a national security threat. They were like, this shit, this shit can't fly. We got to, we got to take him out. Yeah. And so he's got to go. Yeah. So it could have been any of those three. Mm. Who's to say? Uh, Ladybug4673 says, look, communism was one of the scariest things of the time. So it makes sense that the other super scary thing, the gays, would be connected. (laughs) So it's, it's not funny, but it's, a little it's, funny. Yeah, it's like it's funny how ridiculous the people thought. And yeah. in some ways still kind of thing today, but less so. They're yeah, less It's it's popular. getting less shitty. It's getting less shitty. There you go. <laughs> there's um, a, there's an upset. There's a Yeah. There's an upset. So Alan Alan is cremated, his ashes are scattered. Um and then in, in 2013 he is granted a pardon by the queen. It takes until 2013 for them to get pardoned. Uh, and then 2017, Alan Turing's law is passed where uh, thousands of other gay and bi men received posthumous pardons as well. So I don't like, I always get, excuse me. I always get kind of like confused about posthumous pardons because like the gesture makes sense, but it doesn't really help them. Yeah, and maybe it's more for the family members who had that are still there, that are enduring and may have had to deal with some of the social backlash that comes with that came with that during Mm -hmm. that time. So, yeah, it's it's like it's like a a a very light balm. It's like 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 a like a recognition of Mm -hmm. you know the the, like we fucked up. Yeah, yeah like we fucked up. We're recognizing that we fucked up. Hey, Ding. hey you know, we did the thing, but no. you know, it's cool. We're cool now, right? We're cool. Yeah, we're cool. Um, and then now he's going to be on the fifty-pound note in in England, so that's cool. Dope. Um, and I guess we'll close with my one of my favorite favorite quotes that I found from him, which is, "We can only see a short distance ahead, but we can see plenty that needs to be done," which I think is. Well said. Well said. Um, yeah. So that's that's our boy Alan. He's excellent, fascinating, and lovely. Um, (laughs) and so I think we're gonna jump into our builds. So uh, as usual, we built to tenth level uh, with a human, either just a regular garden variety human or a variant. Um, but Reggie, what what kind of what kind of class did you give our boy? Yes, yeah, so I gave him a warlock class. Uh, it is one of my favorite classes, um, just in general. I didn't write it down in the in the little thing, but I specifically wanted to give him uh, a pact with the with the great old one. Yes. That is, I feel like at the time, if I was. Just picturing the character from from my side when I was looking at it, I was like, okay. So if he's getting all of this, all of these preconceived notions, I feel like in the game, maybe it comes from this from this person just whispering in, in his ear, just saying, you know what? Here's what you should do. I'll let you have it. I'll let you. I'll let you do what you need to do. But this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to go and say. Yeah. And I felt like that was such a compelling, such a compelling thing, especially for him, because he really did have to navigate 
a lot of tricky situations, tricky types of conversations. And, you know, besides having like a, uh, uh, a really strong like wisdom or uh, dexterity or anything like that, I, I went with the charisma. Like you gotta be able to speak with people, you gotta be able to talk with them and then also be able to use that in, in this setting where he would be most useful, just be like, okay, let's have these, let's have the charisma so I can have more um, points for my skill checks if I need to do, you know, persuasion, or if I need to, you know, <laughs> I don't think it would be intimidating, but at least he would have it. Like he would be ready to go. Intimidating in like a, like a cerebral sense, maybe. Yeah, in a cerebral sense. You know how someone can break you down just like with, with your, with, with their mind and they yeah. just give you the explanation and then they move their glasses in the little anime way <laughs> and it does the shine. I feel like that's what he would do. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> I feel like that's what he would do. Um, so I also wanted to give him and focus more just like on him as a person in terms of personality traits, you know, ideals, things like that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like for him, uh, just for the personalities, like I, I, there's nothing I like more than a good mystery, and like that is just so something I feel like he would do. Just be like, there's a, there is something out there. I want to figure out what it is. Yeah. And there's going to be a way that I can get to it. But he's like, because he also has the great old one. Who knows? Who knows all of the stuff? Yeah. He's just feeding it to him. Obviously, there's a cost. But in the short term, in the short term, like, here's all this amazing information. Here's all this stuff that I'm going to be able to give you. And I think something that was innate is in as well with the ideals was just um, the goal of a life of study is the betterment of oneself. And I felt like that really resonated really well with his philosophical um, beliefs and just the juxtaposition with the warlock could just just have that really interesting internal struggle, just being like, okay, I'm studying this because I want to, but I also have this information that's just being fed to me. Yes. That will, you know, there will be a cost for that at some point. Yeah. So I just found that to be just really, really interesting and very uh, evocative. I feel like a cool character thing for him with like following the great old one could be like, okay, cool. You're the great old one. What are you? And then him like trying to figure that out himself as he's like taking that information being like, okay, Mm -hmm. cool. What are you though? Yes. I think that could be super interesting. And you have to to question everything because at that point, you know, with the, whoever the DM is, was just going to have to start coming up. He was just like, look, I can't explain what I can't explain. But <laughs> yeah, but, whoever played him would be insufferable in the best way. Insufferable. I think it would just be. I think it would be great. Yes. Um, and Bonds, obviously, I've been searching my whole life for the answer to a certain question. What that question is, don't know. It'll just have to be whatever, whatever it would be for for Alan Turing. There's a bunch of things that you could choose. It's an endless stream of questions. From yeah, from the story side. And then uh, from for a flat, I just feel like I overlook obvious solutions in favor of more complicated ones. Yes. And I was just thinking about <laughs> I was just thinking about the Enigma machine and just and, and just be like, there. 
there has to be an easier way, but I'm going to do this because I feel like it's right. <laughs> yeah. He's like, okay, like that's fine. That's boring though. I'm doing this. That's, yeah. Simple is, is boring and no one, no one, no one, no one remembers boring. So I'm just, <laughs> so I'm going to go with it. I'm going to go. And he's like, the old one's like, yeah, yeah, you should go with it. Should do, do all of that. Like, go yeah, yeah, it should. <laughs> so good. Um, what did, what were like his big skill? You said, you said like intimidation and charisma, yeah, like all his charismas were like the high ones. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wanted him to have some intimidation. I wrote Hexblade here because I was going to go more into it because I've seen a whole bunch of just stuff regarding Hexblade. So Hexblade's maybe right. if somebody can give me, you know, more insight into that, that would be great. But, um, specifically I think of, of Turing as this warlock but like he's like he's cloaked like he has like this cloak but he's able to move into different places um obviously points in intimidation points in performance persuasion uh, as well as stealth i wanted to make sure that he was able to get in and get out and do whatever he needs to do but at the same time like he can hold his own with just who he is and also you know with the old one kind of guiding him as well so I wanted to make sure that the knowledge base was there. So that way, if there was any type of um, like performance check or persuasion check or um, <laughs> specifically intimidation check, just because I think he could break someone down mentally, oh, yeah. that would be, or break down a situation mentally. I think having, if someone were to play that, just be able to meticulously go down a checklist and like, here's the reasons, you know, here's the reasons why this is stupid. (laughs) And then just have A, B, C, D, and then subsection A, subsection B, subsection C, and just be intense with it. Like that, that I feel like just being that type of character in this would just be so much fun. Yeah. Oh man. You're, he sounds so fun to play in your build. I love it. Yeah. Um, did what? What like? What big things does he get from from? Did he do, uh, packs? That, that was it. Did you take any packs for him? Um, I don't think I put any packs on him, but I think it would probably be packed to the tome. Yeah. Um, I, too. I can see. I can see him holding a book. I just like. I could if I could paint the picture. I would. So I'm going to do <laughs> my best. I'm going to do my best to explain it. So, <laughs> so he basically looks like a tall hobbit. And he's got a brown, he's like, he's got a brown cloak, okay, big old tome with just, you know, spooky, creepy, you know, skeleton type stuff. And not necessarily bad, it's just, that's what it is. It is, yeah. So, but he's walking around with it, just in this big old, big old cloak, little, maybe he can get some, some glasses just so he can do a little anime thing. (laughs) And I think this is, they're just right there. I know he didn't wear glasses, but um, he, he would do I, it for the dramatics of it. He would, yeah, he would do it for the yes, yes, very true. Um, and just, I think he's armed more with spells than specifically equipment. That's kind of the way that I wanted him built. Um, so I can talk about some of his spells that he does. Yeah, have. yeah, yeah. Hit me with some of those spells. Um, sure. Obviously, Warlock, Aldrich Blast. You can't. You can't not you can't, have it. You can't not have it. <laughs> no, not like there's no, there's no way that you can't not have it. Um, but just, uh, I wanted Mind Sliver. 
uh, prestidigitation, as well as mage hand. Um, prestidigitation, so useful. Many, so, so, useful. so many different things that you could do with it. That and thaumaturgy um, are overlooked, I think. They're both so useful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then mage hand, just to manipulate something if I need to. Like, yeah. if I need to be like, you know what, let's grab this little thing, or maybe just be like, maybe I can press this little lever without yeah. me having to be there. And don't have to stop your maybe there's a trap that goes off that's within a box of, you know, 10 feet or whatever. And it's like, okay, well, I don't get hit, but <laughs> my mage will be able to take that. Um, and then just for some. For some spells, I wanted them to just be like just crafty and just like move around. Obviously, comprehend languages. Um, I felt like that was apropos for for this gentleman yes, as a first sure. level spell. Just being like, I want to be able to understand whatever I'm reading, whatever I'm looking at, so that way we know going into a situation that we are prepared as we can possibly be before something happens. Yeah. Um, Hex, just because I think it's fun. It's a good one. Uh, <laughs> uh, the armor of Agathis or Agathis, Agathis. Yes. Um, and Charm Person. Charm Person, I feel like, is an underutilized tool. That, Super useful. That is just like, you can use it for so many different things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for just some second level spells. Um, I wanted to choose two that really, uh, I got four, but I, two that specifically jumped out at me was invisibility and a spider climb. Yes. <laughs> I like, I could just see, I could just see, you know, this little taller than a hobbit dude, just being like, you know what? I'm gonna go figure out what's on that ridge. And then and just oh. put his little glasses on and then keep, and then just keep moving up and just yeah. invisible. I was like, okay, so he's, so he's, you know, Spider-Man 2099, like he's, he's, it, and it's great and it's amazing. And oh man, it would just be so much fun to do. And then yeah. darkness and suggestion, obviously, just great. kind of using the uh, uh, little Scarlet Witch type powers, just be like, hey, you should go and do this instead of, instead of something else. That's, yeah. that, that, that's what you should go do. Um, I think I was supposed to have some more. Third level, but specifically the ones that I just wanted to hit was like spider climb and invisibility, just because it's just so interesting. And then you can really get to a better vantage point. And because Eldritch Blast is like a pretty good spell all the way through, even before you can get it and put it for Eldritch Spear, I believe, um, which I think gives you what 300 feet, not yards, because that would be. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, you can, you're a sniper at that point. And since it's a cantrip, I think it's a 1d10 that you can continuously do every single turn, especially especially if you're in different places. Like, yeah. Just, just good for taking little pot shots. Lots of very useful things. Oh, very useful things. I just think he's just so versatile, but having the, uh, like, the, Battle wasn't the thing that I made this character for. Um, Same. Specifically wanted to have those those skill-based conversational type of of playstyle where it's more based on, you know, persuasion, uh, intimidation, being able to conversate, being able to have enough 
uh, uh, points and charisma and your modifier, number one, uh, to be able to have those types of conversations mm -hmm. and be able to just keep having it go in your favor. Yeah. Um, especially if it's, you know, if you don't have that, because part of it, you know, uh, the, at least the reason I play is getting into those characters, getting into understanding motivations and then being able to change the play style based on one little decision that you make pre-battle or pre-whatever, because, you know, obviously a DM will have a plan. Yeah. And then D20s mess it up. So you can scramble that plan real quick. <laughs> so, so I just think, you know, that would just be, this is really great. Um, I think that's just a little basic overview of that's fantastic. Oh, my Alan. I, I, you went a completely different direction than I did, and I fucking love it. It's so cool. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, thank you. I'm excited to see yours. Yes. So, um, I went, I went a much more intellectual route. Um, yeah. but I, 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 like, I wish I'd added more to his charisma because that makes so, that all makes so much sense to me. Um, but I did wizard six and then I gave a multi-class to monk four. Ooh. Um, so I also made him a variant human. So instead of just adding one to all his stats, I added one to two of them. And then I took a feat and I got, I got a skill proficiency that I wanted, which I gave him athletics because he was a runner. Mm. Um, and then the feat I took was keen mind, which increases your intelligence by one. Uh, you always know which way is north. You always know how the number of hours, how many number of, you know, the number of hours left before sunrise and sunset. Yeah. Um, and you can accurately recall anything you've heard or seen within the past month. Oh, so he's got like an eidetic like memory. A, a limited eidetic memory. Like, right. That's cool. So that's very cool. Um, so for wizard, I went with school of invention because he was pushing the envelope constantly mm -hmm. he was always like trying to find new things and grasp new ideas and i thought wizard of school of invention was perfect for it it's on our arcana yeah. um and so he gets tools of the inventor which is proficiency with two tools of your choice and i gave him tinkerers tools and alchemist supplies nice for obvious reasons um Makes and sense. then he gets arcano Mecha arcano mechanical armor so starting at second level, you gain proficiency with light armor and gain a suit of arcano mechanical armor. Uh, it's, it's a magical item that only you can attune to. And when you're attuned to wearing it, you get resistance to force damage. Mm. Um, it's your, your AC is 12 plus your dexterity modifier, which for me was only plus one. So it would be 13, gotcha. uh, which is pretty good for a wizard still. Yeah. Uh, and then you can create a new suit at the end of a long rest. Um, by mm. just like you basically transform non-magical armor into that armor, which oh, is cool. dope as hell. Um, oh, hello, Vader, Green Vader. Hi, buddy. Um, and then also at second level, you get reckless casting, which mm. is you can try to cast a spell you don't have prepared. <laughs> um, yeah, to use this ability, you use your action and choose one of the following options. Either roll on the reckless casting table for cantrips, uh, and cast the resulting spell as part of the action or expend a spell slot and roll twice on the casting table. Um, so basically you can cast a spell 
And yeah. either you can make it happen, but you have to be reckless twice, or you can roll and hope that you get the spell you cast. <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. Like it, it feels yeah. very chaotic and yeah, that feels very chaotic. <laughs> feels like wild magic almost. Like yeah, exactly. I'm yeah. I'm a big fan of wild magic. I'm um, a huge fan. So I was like, ooh, a wild magic adjacent? <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Um, so wacky was, shit you know, there you're gonna turn everybody into frogs or something yes. and you're just like... <laughs> I've, as a wild magic sorcerer I've only turned myself into weird shit never anything else yet okay <laughs> um, yeah so it's fine, it's fine <laughs> um, uh, and then at 6th level you also gain uh, alchemical casting which is you uh, learn to channel magic through your arcana mechanical armor to augment a spell in a variety of ways. When you cast <laughs> a spell wearing the armor and you're attuned to it, you can expend an additional spell slot of first or second level to alter the spell. Uh, <laughs> and the effect depends on the spell slot you expend. So like if you use a first level spell slot to add to the spell, uh, it lets you manipulate the spell's energy. So if you cast a spell that deals acid, cold, fire, lightning, or thunder damage, you can yeah. instead substitute that damage type for a different one. Ooh. Like, like you could have, Situation. like you could do a thunder wave, but it's yeah. acid thunder or fire thunder. That's nice. Which is neat as hell. Or if you expend a second level spell slot, you increase the spell's raw force. So the damage for the spell is increased by 2d10 force damage. Wow. So that's cool as hell too. Um, yeah, wacky. That's, that's that's cool. Yeah. See, so I that's need to, I need to get up on that on your spell game. Yeah, they're, so they're fun. I'm gonna I'm gonna next time if I come back I'm coming with it. <laughs> yes. Good 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 good. Um, and then and then the usual wizard stuff, arcane recovery, blah blah blah. Right. Yeah. Um, wizard, wizard things. Wizard things. Yeah. Um, and then for Monk, I took Cobalt Soul, okay. which is in uh, Explorer's Guide to Wild Mount, I believe. Um, and it's they're they're also very like intelligence, like um, gathering intelligence, rooting out corruption, history mm. uh, focused. Gotcha. And uh, the monks of the Cobalt Soul are the embodiment of the phrase "Know your enemy." So through research, like finding things, this all tracks to me for Alan. Mm. Um. So I get, you know, unarmed, unarmed attack, deflect missiles, slow fall. Uh, I don't have unarmored movement, but that's not that big of a deal. I'm not super stressed about it. Speeds right. increased to 40 because, as I said, he was a runner. Yep. Um, and then he gets extract aspects, which is um, you can extract uh, information about a creature when you hit them with one of your flurry of blows. So nice. you can you can get the information, um, damage vulnerabilities, damage resistances, damage immunities, and condition immunities, which would be huge in a fight. Huge. Yeah. Stupid. Absolutely super crazy, especially since you're moving you're moving faster than yeah. most. Um, you get an opportunity to get that information, and then especially if you're closer or if you're yelling since you're in a battle or whatever, or DM rules, then <laughs> you can just be like, hey, this is this is what this person's weak to. Like, yeah. hit him with that. Like <laughs> a speedy, a speedy wizard that knows things feels very dangerous to me. 
Speedy wizard. <laughs> like get in, pop, pop, get out. Hey, here's information. All I can see, all I can see is like Gandalf just like punching somebody <laughs> and then moving back out. Like, <laughs> <I> go. <laughs> see ya. That's awesome. Yeah. Or, you know, could be yeah, like so many different types of wizards. Like yeah. I see, I, for whatever reason, I see your wizard as even you know, like a red, a red cloak or something. And just like, just kicking ass. <laughs> just kicking Hello, ass. I'm here to kick your ass. Why? Yeah, it's kicking. Just kicking ass and, and smarter than everyone. Like just... Brilliant and ass kicking. Amazing. Yeah. And he's like, does anyone go on a, go on a run? And he's like, no. Alan, we want to rest. And he's like, well, I'm going to go on a run. I'm going to go. Uh, All of are stupid. I'm going to go on a run. <laughs> I thought his spell book could be like all of his paper, all of his like cool ass brilliant papers that he had. That's mm -hmm. just his spell book. Yep. Uh, component pouch, maybe like chalk for all the equations he draws. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Uh, but spells I landed on, he gets four cantrips and I got mending, um, shocking grasp, mage hand and dancing lights uh so we can do that math late into the night mm -hmm. um first level he has unseen servant which just ex extra hands for math <laughs> i love unseen servant so much fun so much fun uh comprehend languages and then illusory script which i think would be super helpful when he's trying to like keep all of his information to himself if he needs to mm -hmm. um second level he has invisibility gentle repose I don't know why I gave him gentle repose, but I feel like he like something just something to like call back to his his love for Christopher and his like ability to like you know he like uh, I think you don't decay and they don't they can't be mm -hmm. like taken they can't be turned into undead for ten yeah. days or something like that so yeah. just kind of a callback to that and then also crown of madness which usually <laughs> is like a crown of dark thorns and it's terrible I yeah. like the idea that it's just a circling. Um, crown of really confusing equations that no one else understands yeah <laughs> like, oh, it's be... like that meme of that woman who's like <laughs> <laughs> yeah i can see i know exactly i know exactly what you think about but it's that but it's just condensed in a in a ring yeah wow that would be yeah that could be a crown of madness very I mean, fun yeah yeah i can see that uh third level he has Lamon's tiny hut sending uh and vampiric touch just so he has some kind of offensive some. spell besides shocking grasp. Yeah. Uh, and then fit fourth level, he has polymorph. Um, Cause polymorph's good. Polymorph's great. <laughs> um, I have a few items that I thought might be useful. I'm not saying he has these. I just thought they might be useful. Um, Amulet of health would be good for his uh, constitution because that was his dump for me. I probably should have switched it with charisma, but it doesn't really matter that much. I mean, he's a monk, so he's, you know, he's more of a glass cannon anyway, especially yeah. since he's a wizard. Too. Especially since he's a squishy boy. Yeah, squishy boy! Um, <laughs> boots of speed, because he's a speedy, speedy motherfucker. Gem of seeing. Um, an Iune stone, so that he could have, like, a reserve of magic. Uh, the mantle of spell resistance, which would make him a little bit hardier. Perioptive proof against poison, because I just want to protect him from cyanide. I I just want to protect him. Fair. Uh, Ring of Mind Shielding for mental mental, mental sanctuary. Um, and then a Ring of Spell Turning also for the same reasons as above. Um, he has 39 hit points at 10th level. So he, he is very squishy, but he's very fast. So He's very fast. 
there so is that. why need all the points when you you know just get away hit, you know and unless you you know get hit unless you get hit then it's bad <laughs> then, it's, then, it's, then bad things happen the, the, the bad things happen but you know you know my my Alan will talk his way out of it your Alan will punch his way out of it exactly <laughs> they're a good team double Allens don't dual dueling Allens dueling dual trick. wielding Allens yeah I have two character it. sheets and they're both Allen. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think that's about it on my build as well. Um, so yeah, that's that's Alan Turing. He is a fascinating figure in history. If you are into this kind of thing, please go find information. I barely scratched the surface. There's so much cool shit about him. Please go find it. Um, Reggie, thank you so much for joining me. Um, yes. If you enjoyed listening to us talk to each other, you're in luck because the project we worked together called Earth Eclipsed, uh, which is at Tribeca, which is the stupidest sentence I've ever said in my which life. Is, yeah, which, uh, <laughs> and you said it. You said it publicly for the world to see. Yeah, I laugh every time I say it because I'm like, that's right? the ridiculous yeah. thing to say about a project yeah. that I worked on. It's you're, fantastic. You're... It's a sci-fi podcast. Uh, if you want to hear us talk to each other more in silly voices and maybe not as friendly. Uh, you should check it out this Friday when it comes out on podcast places. Uh, yep. June 11th. We are June 11th first episode uh, launches, and I'm super excited. Yeah. What is it? 11 Eastern. I 11 think. 11 Eastern, eight yep. eight Pacific. Cool. So yeah, that's that's you can you can find Reggie and I there being maybe friends, maybe not. Who's to say? Uh, but Reggie, do you have anything else that you'd like to plug? Um, just a couple of plugs. I mean. Yeah. Uh, Got my um, storytelling podcast on Spotify right now, Quiet in the Library. So go check that out. I go and talk about different pieces of lore from different video games that I like and just start putting that information up. So definitely check that out. Um, check out this machinima movie that I'm in. Um, it's called The Pacific Eight. It's a war machinima uh, shot in uh, GTA V. Uh, so check that out as well as... Um, let's see, what else am I working on? Oh, there's a Final Fantasy fan dub that I'm a part of as well um, for the War of the Lions, which is basically Final Fantasy Tactics. So you can check that out as well. Um, you just put both of those into YouTube and it should be pretty easy to find. Um, but besides that, just you'll you'll see us in a bunch of other things, I'm sure. But yeah. those are the big ones for right those now. The big ones. Oh, those sound so cool, dude. I'm so proud of you. Yeah. Um, you. <laughs> and um, yeah, the usual, the usual Mayday stuff coming from my end. Um, Mondays, hang out with Aaron at the Sheep Farm. He's playing Hitman right now. And it <gasps> cracked me up this week. He's playing it's, Hitman. He's playing it's Hitman. It's so good. I don't know which hit. I think it's, it's I'm pretty sure it's Hitman 1. Aaron, Aaron can correct watch, me in chat if he wants to. I love Hitman. I watched. I, I watched. It is one. Okay, Aaron said it's one. It is Hitman one. Perfect. Um, let's let's talk. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Tuesdays there's um, Iron Sworn with Sergio and one of one of our plethora of friends here on this channel. Every yes. other Wednesday, I'm here doing Heroes You Should Know, and Fridays we've still got Ashoka coming out. Uh, we're getting close. We're getting close to the end here. There's a lot of Oh, there's a lot of stressful, a lot of stressful stuff coming up, but in a good way. Um, yeah, we've we've been recording Doom to Repeat 
campaign or arc two. Ooh. Sergio's throwing us through it. Um, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to go back to that. Yeah. But it's good. <laughs> um, and I think that's about it from me. Reggie, again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. I love hanging out with you. I love talking to you and talking about these. This stuff was a yeah. gift to my week. No, this was this was the highlight of, of my day. Uh, like, I've been looking forward to this all week. So thank you yes. for inviting me. Like I said, there's another one that I can jump on. Oh, yeah. Get into some other stuff. Like, I'm, I'm ready. I'm excited. Yes. You say the word and I will be there. Amazing. I'm sure I'm sure you will be back with us at some point. Uh, as always, thank you to Aaron for running all of our technical thoughts things. I tried I tried to say stuff and things at the same time and it yeah. came out terrible. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's about it from us. Thank you guys for joining us um, and have a lovely week. Goodbye, yeah. friends. Thank you. Bye bye.